You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has come out with a new model, and that model is the 110 Ultralight. At under six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. This comes in a variety of calibers. It has a gray AccuFinish stock with adjustable comb height. This is an awesome rifle, and uh, basically Savage is at it again. These guys have done amazing things in the past, and now they're doing amazing things in the future. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of time plus 1% of money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and money back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode number nine. Uh, this week on the podcast, I am joined by Cindy Stites of Indiana. Uh, Cindy's a great story. She um, kind of got into hunting and con- uh, conservation about eight years ago uh, and has not looked back. Um, she is involved in um, numerous uh, conservation organizations, uh, both locally there uh, in Indiana and some, some national organizations as well. Uh, but to me, more importantly, uh, is the work that she's doing um, there in Indiana with uh, the 4-H and being a shooting instructor with them and then volunteering her time uh, as a hunter education instructor as well. Uh, I think that um, kind of mentoring our youth and exposing them to conservation and the outdoors and wildlife uh, at, at a young age and, and hoping that they can kind of continue that on into their adulthood, uh, I think is, is extremely important for, uh, the future of hunting and, and angling and, and conservation. So, uh, the work that, that Cindy is doing, uh, there in Indiana, uh, is, is super impressive. Uh, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear her story and, and hear the passion, uh, that she has for, um, for conservation, the outdoors and for, uh, future generations to come. Uh, but before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our partners over at Stone Glacier. Uh, so whether you're 
gearing up for that western hunt this fall uh, or you're getting ready to, to hit the whitetail woods um, stone glacier uh, is going to have a pack uh, or a base layer or an outerwear uh, that that you need um, their their equipment um, is is super versatile it's it's built here in the usa uh, it's, it's just, it's second to none in terms of the quality that you're going to get out of them. Um, you can check them out at stoneglacier.com. Uh, they also have, um, a new app that you can download. So whether you're using an Apple device or an Android, uh, you can get it through the app store or Google play, uh, and really just kind of stay up to date on all the latest, uh, happenings with stone glacier. Uh, I see they have a new, uh, bino harness coming out that they're running a contest on right now to, to try to pick a name for. So definitely be sure to uh, to give Stone Glacier uh, a look if if you're in the need for for a new pack or a new sleeping bag, a new lightweight tent, um, some base layers, mid layers, uh, you know, really anything. So check them out at StoneGlacier.com. All right, with me today on the phone I have Cindy Stites. Cindy, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. So I got to tell you that. Um, you know, prior to us hopping on here, we uh, exchanged some, some messages and stuff like that. Um, you know, I like to get a good idea of what people are into, um, you know, in, in terms of conservation before we have before we hop on here. And I'll have to say, like, after reading all the stuff that you are into, I'm really excited about this conversation today. Well, good. Um, I appreciate you having me on. And I'm excited about talking about being very busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's you have. I don't know how you have any time other than to work on conservation. I mean, so, you know, you've, you've seen the stuff on social media and, you know, the kind of the, the tagline, let's call it, that we use for the podcast is um, average people doing extraordinary work in the field of conservation. Well, people are going to soon find out why you hit the latter part of that out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> But, it's almost it's almost embarrassing because I don't feel like I'm doing I don't think I'm doing anything extraordinary. I'm just I think I'm just doing what I'm passionate about. So it doesn't seem like that much of a big deal really to me. But that but that's but that's a very good attitude to have. Like you don't you and to me that kind of says, you know, like you're not doing this so that people recognize you for the work that you're doing. You said it you're doing it because you're passionate about it. And that's that's what I've I've found with speaking to, to people on this podcast is, you know, no one's in it for the glory because, you know, conservation isn't this big glorious thing on the outside, right? But the, the satisfaction that that you get from it personally um, is, it, it's tough to really explain, you know, and, and knowing that you're not just doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for a lot of, you know, future generations to, to enjoy the same things that you are is, is great. Yeah, it's it's been an eye opener. I it wasn't my intention to jump in to the field of conservation, but once I started hunting, um, I started hunting eight years ago, and after the first few seasons, I realized the value in the habitat and the value in just making sure that that sticks around. And um, I've heard a few people say, you know, you can't just keep taking, you have to give something back. And that really resonated with me uh, pretty strongly. And that's why I got involved. I wasn't, I'd never volunteered for anything in my life until <laughs> the first person asked um, for me to get involved with our local 4-H shooting sports program. And I was terrified and I said yes. And then that just snowballed into a lot of other things. So, well, yeah, that's that. Well, first off, that's great that 
you just, you kind of, you stepped out of your comfort zone a little bit and, you know, it, it doesn't seem like something that would be too difficult to get involved with conservation, volunteering your time, especially for something that you're passionate about, but it can be, um, a bit, uh, yeah, overwhelming, I guess at first when, especially if you're, excuse me, you're new to hunting or you're new to fishing, you know, whatever it may be, you don't want to come in there and, and try to, um, project yourself as, as kind of like this expert or, or, you know, know it all in in the field of, you know, whatever you're hunting or or fishing or anything like that. Because, I mean, I think we're all in that same boat. There's so many people out there that know so much about hunting and fishing and, and, and things like that, that you don't want to, you don't want to pass along, you know, misinformation. Right. And I, that was the thing I was most nervous about because I'd been shooting archery for just a few years and uh, my boyfriend chance his little girl was shooting uh shooting sports and she was shooting rifle pistol and uh, muzzle loader and she she hadn't been doing archery but i got to talking to one of the instructors when we were there to pick her up and he was like so you shoot archery and i was like oh god <laughs> yes <laughs> and he goes well you know we sure could we sure could use you to to help you know to be an archery instructor there's a lot of little girls that shoot and we don't have any female instructors. And I just think that they could relate to you better. And maybe you, you know, might be able to make them more comfortable. And I said, you know, I, I don't know. So I, I let it go. And then I waited a few weeks and he had told me about a meeting that was coming up. He said, well, if you're interested, you should come to this meeting for all the instructors that we have once a month and we can talk to you about it. So I thought about it and I showed up at the meeting. And while I was kind of given a bio to the other instructors of who I was and that I thought I was interested. Uh, Steven Spencer, another guy that was there, he's a big part of the program. He was like, so, you hunt? I said, yes. He goes, so would you want to be a hunter education instructor? I was like, what? <laughs> You're going to be kidding me. He's like, well, what would happen is, because they had explained that I'd go to Ross Camp, which is a, a camp in Tippecanoe County that they send all the instructors to to get trained. And you spend a weekend up there. He said, essentially, what would happen is you'd do the exact same thing, but you'd be getting trained to be a hunter's ed instructor versus the shooting sports. So it's just you're repeating the weekend with a different um, education value. And I was like, okay. And, you know, it was just that I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But for some reason, I said yes. And then it's uh, it was probably the best decision I've ever made. And that was the most uncomfortable decision probably the most uncomfortable yes I've ever given because I like I said I'm it was out of my comfort zone I'm an introvert big time and I like just kind of being off by myself but it's been life-changing and I'm glad I did it well life life-changing for all the right reasons right oh Which yeah is, absolutely yeah so <clears throat> I definitely want to get into more of um the work that you're doing with 4-H shooting with being a hunter uh, hunter uh, education instructor but First, so kind of rewinding a little bit, what is it that you do for your day job? So I, mean, I know you're, you're, you're volunteering with all these organization, mm-hmm. organizations, but what is what makes you an average conservationist? Well, I'm actually a horticulturist and an arborist. So I've been working in horticulture for 24 years. Okay. And I've been an arborist for six or seven now. Okay. So I've been, I've been working in the outdoors forever, but just not as someone in conservation, it was more as a landscaper or I did plant propagation. 
Um, I worked at a wholesale um, grower where we grew native tree native Indiana trees. So I've I've kind of run the gamut on the horticulture field. I'm actually not working right now. I I uh, lost my job when COVID hit, so I've been chilling. <laughs> yeah, I, and, it, I, and you know it's it's been a blessing. I thought it was just the worst thing that could have ever happened. But to be honest, in the last year, I was really looking to change careers and go into conservation mm-hmm. just because it had just, my passions have changed. I mean, my passions were always plants. And they I think that's always going to be there. But um, given the state of the industry and, and with horticulture, being a woman in the industry is tough. Okay. You take, you take your lumps. And I just, I think it had just wore on me enough that I was ready to, you know, look at moving into something related with either habitat restoration or something like that. Something I was somewhat familiar with, mm-hmm. but kind of on a, you know, in a different career path. Yeah, you So it's been a blessing. So I'm not really working right now, but um, I'm looking for that next, you know, whatever that next step is. Yeah. And that's, and, and well, first I'm, I'm sorry to hear that obviously losing your, your job during all this time. I know it's, it's crazy out there. I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of people that are, are in oh, that same, same boat, boat, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But I like the attitude that you have that you're looking at it from, you're trying to look at it from a positive standpoint because you said you were kind of one foot out the door a little bit wanting to yeah. reapply your knowledge in horticulture to, you know, the outdoors, to conservation, um, which I think to me seems like it should be a, a pretty seamless process once you find the right fit. Right. It, feel, it should be a natural flow. Um, yeah. and And just also... I think my passion for telling the story of hunting and the outdoors, and I, I think there's a lot of different directions I could go. It's just, you know, time will tell. Something will turn up. I'm not I'm not getting too bent out of shape about it. I've been hiking a lot and enjoying I actually work in my own yard now, and I'm enjoying it, where before it was a chore. So yeah. now I'm kind of getting back to where I was before. So it'll, it'll shake out. It'll be fine. Well, good. Now, going back to, you said you started hunting eight years ago. Mm-hmm. What was it that? I mean, so I would consider you then probably an adult onset hunter, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's a term that gets thrown thrown I have around the a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good illness to have. Yes, it is. Um, so, what was it that got you involved into hunting? Um, my boyfriend, which I know a lot of women probably get tossed into hunting the same way, or at least introduced to hunting that way. But um, yeah, he we started dating, and he said, you know, I think you'd like go hunting. And I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. And he's like, what do you mean? You love to fish. You've fished your whole life. I said, well, yeah, but I don't think I could go out and like shoot any. I just, I don't have that in me. Right. He said, well, and so he prodded a little bit and I went out with him and sat a few times. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. And then, then it, it, I wouldn't say it turned into an obsession, but it was a, a it was a turning point for me that I thought, okay, I'm going to go out and try to learn something that I never in a million years would have tackled. And Chance is a, um, he's a tough love kind of guy. So mm-hmm. he just threw me in the woods and he was like, figure it out. That's how I learned. And I thought, I mean, he taught me how to shoot because I was shooting right handed and he kept looking at me like I was, a, he's like, what do you, I don't understand what you're doing. Well, when I was looking down the barrel, I was leaning over and looking with my left ah, eye. Okay. And he's like, you're doing it wrong. I said, look, I pitch fast pitch with my right hand. I shoot basketball with my right hand. I do this right hand. He's like, no, it's not about what hand. It's about which eye you need to use. Which dominant eye, yeah. Yeah, and I had no idea, you know. So, I, like I said, I knew nothing. But 
once I started hunting and getting out there and every time I went out, I learned something new and there were a lot of arguments, a lot of tears, (laughs) a lot of frustration. And at one point he told me to quit. He's like, I'm so sick of listening to you complain about how hard this is. He's like, just quit. And then at that point I was like, okay, I'm not, there's no way I'm quitting. So that's how I got introduced uh, to hunting and I haven't looked back. <laughs> so being in the Midwest here, are you, I mean, are you doing a lot of like waterfowl, turkey, deer? What's kind of your, your animal um, of choice? Turkey, deer, probably my favorite is to squirrel hunt. I love to squirrel hunt. That's like, and I just started squirrel hunting two years ago, but that has by far been the most fun. Yeah. Deer hunting is still, that's probably always going to be my biggest, you know, obsession, but yeah. I love to squirrel hunt. I love to turkey hunt. Uh, we dove hunt. I pheasant hunt. Just kind of a mixed bag. I guess generalist is probably the best way to describe me. Yeah, that's good though. So, what was it that you first got started on um, hunting? Was it was it whitetail? It was whitetail. Yeah, I yeah. went big. Went big first. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a that's a tough one, especially if, you know just to. You know, I mean, there's just so many elements. You you know, there's so many elements that go into you know, whitetail hunting and being successful at it too, right? That, yeah, that's a, that's jumping in the deep end for sure. Yeah. And especially I would go out and, you know, I would sit and I would get busted or I would, I wouldn't see anything or I'd be sitting with the wind the wrong direction, you know, and I'd come back to Chance's house because I didn't live here at the time. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand why this is so hard. He's like, do you want me to tell you what you did wrong? And I'm like, why? Yeah. And he'd explain it to me. He goes, that's why I didn't go out today. I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before? He's like, because you have to learn. And I'm, it was so frustrating, but I think most people would not want to learn how to hunt that way. And I, I think especially women would just be completely turned off by it. But I, something about me is not right. And I, it was the challenge and it was, it was feeling like I knew I could figure it out. I didn't know how I was going to figure it out, but I thought I'm not I'm not going to let this beat me. So so I just kept going and I kept getting mad. And it, it's amazing now looking back at how much I know now that I didn't know then, but how much more I have to learn. I mean, it's just a never ending process. And you think you have something figured out and then you get it busted. And then it's just, it really puts you in your place and it, it reminds you that you still have a lot of work to do. So it's been fun. I mean, it's probably been one of the most enjoyable frustrations that I've ever had. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's nothing quite as humbling as as hunting or fishing for that matter. You know, it, it's all it's all can be very very tough and yeah, makes you want to pound your head against the tree for for the most part. Yeah. So, now we touched on it very early on uh, in the conversation here, but you're doing a lot of volunteer work with a lot of different conservation organizations. Can you tell me about what well, I guess just first, just kind of give me a, a list of, of some of the organizations, or actually all the organizations that you're uh, volunteering your time with. Okay, I hope I don't forget anyone. Well, actually, I, I wrote some down. So I'm with, obviously, the Indiana Hunter Education Association. Mm-hmm. I'm a life member. I just became a life member with them. Um, so I'm a certified volunteer hunter ed instructor. Um, I also am a certified uh, 4-H shooting sports instructor with the state of Indiana, and I teach archery to the our 4-H, local 4-H club. And I also was asked last year to be an apprentice for the state teaching team for shooting sports. So there's, 
I think 19 or 20 members to that out of all the uh, shooting sports instructors in the state. And I was, I was really floored that they asked me to come back and, and to teach. So I'm going through my year's apprenticeship to make sure it's a good fit for me and a good fit for them. And if everything goes well by the end of the year, I, I hope to be a member of the state teaching team for shooting sports. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, I also work with the International Caribou Foundation, which uh, is a fairly young foundation, but is working really hard to bring awareness to the caribou pop- populations that are failing. And just the fact that, you know, we don't even have caribou in the lower 48 anymore. Right. So I work as a communications advisor. Uh, I volunteer on their board doing that. And it's unfortunate right now, there's so many things that have been canceled event-wise. Um, there's not a lot to communicate on other than just basic information on caribou uh, in general. So so with with the Caribou Foundation, how is it that someone from Indiana gets involved <laughs> in a conservation organization centered around an animal that's not even in the lower 48 anymore? How does that happen? That is a phenomenal question. <laughs> um, my name was suggested... Um, to the foundation, uh, to John Lind and Cheryl Lind, basically by Jared Frazier. And I don't know if Monting Patelis also backed that up, but I know Jared swung my name that way, and um, I, which I appreciate greatly. Now, that being said, when John called me and we talked about it, we had a pretty lengthy phone call about you know me joining the board and uh, what I would do as a communication advisor and just what the organization is about. And I made it very clear to him that I didn't know anything about caribou <laughs> other than watching a few, you know, episodes on TV of a caribou hunt in Alaska. Right. I, I just don't have that much knowledge on caribou because like you said, I'm in Flatland, Indiana. Yeah. So there's that. And he was very uh, gracious. And he said, you know, I know you'll learn and we trust that you'll learn. And he, I said, why, why do you want me to do this? I'm in Indiana. I'm so far removed from where you guys are and from caribou in general. And he said, well, we think that you can tell a story and we feel like the way that you communicate is just what we need to tell the story about caribou to, to help people learn about the plight of the animal and and what we can do to help. So I was floored. I was like, okay, that's fair. I said, do you think the board will vote me in? (laughs) Nobody knows who I am. They don't, you know, the people that are on the board are names that a lot of people, especially out West, are going to be familiar with. I said, I'm a no, I'm nobody. I'm nobody in Indiana, and I'm just afraid that they won't, they won't vote for me. And then yeah. he let me know a while later, a few weeks later, I think. He's like, okay, you're in. So I was pretty excited. Well, I'm really awesome. excited about working with the group in general just because it's a learning opportunity for me. And I think it's, it's a great thing because it's an animal that, I mean, everybody knows about elk and everybody mm-hmm. knows about you know how turkey were brought back and white-tailed deer were brought back and i just think it's it's time for the caribou it's it's their turn that's so. the next great conservation success story in yeah. terms of helping so. helping a population return to where it once was yeah i really hope so so where so I, you're also a member of some other um organizations i don't know necessarily know that you are volunteering your time but you're you know certainly a member of for some more Western organizations. Have you ever lived out West or just kind of? No, um, I'd like to. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody would like yeah. to at some right. point in their life. But 
uh, Chance and I have been hunting in Wyoming. This will be this fall. Will be our fifth time out there, fifth year in a row. We've got family friends that live um, out near Lingle, Wyoming, and we stay with them. And we just fell in love with just I don't know, not necessarily the idea of the West, but we fell in love with the landscape and the animals and just the whole you know the whole thing. And I, I we hunt mule deer, so I'm very passionate about mule deer. That's probably if I had to rank the animals that are my favorite to watch, mule deer is definitely at the top. I mean, I could just sit and watch them all day. So I am a member of the Mule Deer Foundation, which sounds odd coming from Indiana because it's not like we have a chapter here. Right. <laughs> and actually, when you fill out your membership, it asks what your local chapter is. And I had to put Torrington, Wyoming, because that's the only town I'm familiar with because we right. go to Torrington quite a bit while we're out there. So, um, but then you know, also Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and um, I need to renew, but I was a member of the uh, Sheep Wild Sheep Foundation and the Less Than One Percent Club, and I just, I don't know, I don't think geography should dictate what I support, and I, I do I have hope that maybe someday I'll be hunting elk, yeah, I mean, Chance is going to hunt elk in Montana this year, and he's just, he's beside himself. I'm not going with him because I'm going to be going to deer camp in Montana like two weeks later. So we have to split our time. But um, I think it's still important to support. If we're going to go out there and take from the land, I think it's important that we support the organizations that are giving back. And if I can't be out there doing the work and pulling fence rows and doing all that kind of stuff, you know, paying my membership fee or making a donation may not be it might may not make such an impact as out there doing the actual work on the ground, but it's it's all I can do at this point. Well, yeah, and I don't think that that really anyone in, in your position should necessarily feel bad about only being able to pay their membership dues or you know if they're uh, able to donate money to to do that as well because it all <clears throat> excuse me it all adds up right. I yeah. mean the fact that you have the the wherewithal to say, you know what, I, I really enjoy mule deer hunting. It's it's something that I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, you can't be there to, like you said, help pull fence or help do cleanup projects or habitat restoration, whatever it is. But you can you can still donate your money, and that money is going to go towards you know those those projects that are being done. You know, right there um, in Wyoming, for example. So no, I think that that's that's great that you still want to you know you don't just want to take you want to give back as much as you can as well. Yeah, and I see uh, organiz- organizations like I'm an Artemis ambassador, um, and I see the girls out doing these projects, and it just I'm like God, I just want to be there so bad. I want to be able to be out working with them and putting in the work and you know the blood, sweat, and tears, and it that part of it is really hard for me at times because I feel like I'm in the wrong place. But then when I go back and think about my kids at Hunter Ed classes or my, you know, my archery kids or even the kids that I'm mentoring here on my own, I remember that, you know, I'm probably where I'm supposed to be right now. Yeah. That doesn't mean this is always where I'm supposed to be. But right now, I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is just, you know, my perspective that at, at, at this point, you know, having uh, such an impact on future generations is it, it to me, especially with the way you know numbers have been trending down in terms right. of um, hunters and, and anglers and things like that, or at least you know in license sales. So yeah, to to get people 
the younger generation and females, you know, more specifically involved at an early age to, to hopefully keep them engaged, you know, until, you know, they're an adult and, and are doing these things on their own is, I think is paramount in terms of hunting and angling and just conservation in general in the future for the future. I do too. And it's, it's funny that you bring up the women's side of it. I had a, <laughs> I had a very awkward day-long conversation with somebody yesterday whom I don't know on on Instagram and I I I had made a comment about something and he responded to it and he interpreted my comment completely wrong so I said let's let's chat in a private message and just let's have a conversation right and we did and it lasted all day literally and he just like the last message just happened this morning and and we did not agree on the perception of women in the outdoors and we didn't agree that you know maybe the um the ethos needs to change a little bit because my argument was that i feel like uh he said well i don't think women need to be coddled and uh, <laughs> there were some there were many directions i could have went with that but i didn't and i said look i don't think women want to be coddled and i don't think that the industry uh, has to change to make me feel comfortable. But what I do think is that um, it it needs to change in the sense that women are huge contributors to conservation. Women are the ones a lot of times out spending the money. Uh, women are the ones that a lot of times are inviting people that don't look like us into the outdoors. We're willing to share our spaces. We're not territorial. We don't care if you're, you know, black, white, brown, blue, or purple. We don't care if you're part of the LGBTQ community. We want you there because it's, you know, why why keep that from anybody? So I think having girls that are young that show the interest in hunting, they need to know that, you know, they can do it just as much as anybody else can. And I think if we can get girls involved and have them stay involved, that, from, in my opinion, is good for the future of hunting. And I'm not saying the guys aren't doing it right. That's not what I mean at all. I just mean that I think women offer a different perspective and they offer a welcoming perspective to anybody. And I think that's important. So, yeah, I mean, getting girls involved is huge. Yeah. And you, you made a good point there where you said that they 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 tend to be more inviting females do uh, in terms of hunting and, and things like that. Because for, for, for you, for example, for getting into hunting later in life, Right. I mean, you had you had your boyfriend who who got you involved. But could you imagine trying to just on your own go out and meet, you know, people who are hunting or, you know, who are really into hunting to try to get yourself involved? I mean, it's it's I talked about this with um, with another guest that I had on a few weeks ago. It's um, it it can be very intimidating. Right. To, to try to introduce yourself or put yourself out there to to be able to learn how to hunt how to fish to do these things that you know you want to do you want even if it's just try it you know it's just it, it can be very difficult so yeah the more people you can get involved at a young age the more people it's going to bring in long term and I, I i totally agree with with your with your outlook on that i i ended the conversation with him and i said look you know I, and he, and after i don't know even how many messages it was such a good conversation it was a little heated at times because he I, we were just coming from complete opposite perspectives. Mm -hmm. But by the time we got done talking, you know, I said, look, I didn't spend my Sunday on here to argue with you. I just wanted to have a conversation so that we could understand each other better. And I think 
we're at that point now. And, and he messaged me back this morning. He said, you know, I agree that having the conversation was good. And I, I, I think that we'd actually get along and we're somebody that, you know, we could sit around, drink a beer around the fire and talk about hunting together. So it, it went better than expected. But I think so often on social media, you just argue, you argue, oh, yeah. you don't have to be, you don't have to take, you don't have any accountability for what you say. You can just say it and move on. Yep. And I think, you know, Chance gives me grief all the time. He's like, why are you getting in these conversations with people you don't know? I said, because it's important. Mm-hmm. And I and that's not his thing. He's just like, ah, I just don't even read that stuff. But it ended up being worth my time, I think, because um, maybe it didn't completely change this guy's perspective, but he at least took the time to listen to mine. And it, it opened his eyes a little bit, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is, he went from maybe not being very receptive at all to your um, to to your train of thought to how you viewed things, but it you know I I don't know the the details of the conversation, but presumably he wasn't attacking you personally or, or anything like that because the conversation you know clearly lasted for most of the day. Oh yeah. So it the- was it was more based on he just he he felt like a certain article shouldn't have been removed and nobody should have to apologize because they write an article that you know maybe uh isn't complimentary to women in the outdoors and he said i don't care if they make fun of women and i was like whoa okay let's we need to dive a little bit deeper into this yeah. you know i said think about if you had a daughter and think about if she was very accomplished at something and somebody wrote an article about her and the first three paragraphs of the article talked about her boobs Right. How how would you feel about? It? Would you still think that that author is hilarious? Yeah. And would you still tell her, "Oh, it's all right if they made fun of you." Yeah. I said has... you have to put it in the perspective of someone that means something to you, mm-hmm. and then look at it look at it that way. You, you can't just umbrella, you know, that mentality, especially in the outdoor industry, because women are the you know I guess we're the fastest growing demographic. So. Sure, you can't yeah. cut out your fastest demo- growing demographic and alienate people that are contributing so much, you know, to the industry and to the outdoors in general. So we ended it ended up being okay, but we had some tough words for each other for a while. Yeah, but those tough conversations um, are really what's needed uh, to, especially with people who tend to be a bit more close-minded about things. They need to hear those those different viewpoints on things. Just. Because it, it you, you have to step outside of your bubble from time to time and, and realize that there's other people out there with different views, uh, especially on like something like hunting, right? Which, oh yeah, you know, the, you wouldn't necessarily think, I mean, hunting seems pretty straightforward, right? But there's, I mean, there's nuance to all sorts of different things oh, in absolutely. hunting and, and conservation. So yeah, some people only look at it one way or were only raised to look at it one way, you know, that they only know it like that. So to have someone else, you know, share their opinion or their view, I think is, is very, is very important. And, and at the end of the day, even if you don't agree with them, at least you listen to them because yeah. maybe a year down the road or something like that, that person has um, a change of heart or their circumstances changes. And all of a sudden now they're going, you know, that conversation I had with, with that woman on Instagram a year ago, that, that kind of really resonates now more so than, than ever. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've always been one that has thought that I am not going to ever be disrespectful to anyone, especially I would never do that in a, in a public setting or a public forum, no matter how much we disagree. But I've always kind of stuck true to my, to myself and I've posted what I, you know, what I believe or, and I, 
I don't, I'm not um, driven by followers or likes. None of that stuff. I, to me, it's just an outlet. Like I said, I'm an introvert. So social media is a great way for me to be able to, you know, tell a story or, mm-hmm. or share something without having to get into a super deep conversation or, or even have small talk. I think small talk is probably my biggest fear in life because it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> I like, I like deep, meaningful conversations, which is really hard to do on a social media platform. Yeah. So, um, but I've never been driven by who likes me or doesn't like me, or I just put it out there and people like it. That's fine. And him and I just had a disagreement, but we talked through it and yeah. I don't think him and I are going to, you know, go out for pizza next week, but we at least were cordial to each other when it was over. Yeah. You, you had an adult conversation, which I think, especially yeah. on social media anymore is Tough. if you have different <laughs> viewpoints than someone else, I mean, it's, it's impossible. I mean, so I, I have social media for my company and mm-hmm. like a Facebook and an Instagram page. And the only reason I have a, have to have a personal Facebook account is so that I can have these, the business page and, you know, a business Instagram account, because it's just, it's it's so exhausting to look at yeah. all the negativity that's out there all the time, whether it's, I mean, it doesn't matter what the situation is. There's always going to be mm-hmm. it's anything. Yeah. And that's why I told him, I said, I can assure you that everyone's never going to agree with everyone else. It's just, it will never happen. Yeah. But having a conversation at least gives you a viewpoint that, you know, someone else has or that you can take a perspective of someone else's and, and look at it and say, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, I agree with it or no, I still don't agree with it, but you can at least be an adult yeah. and, and have a conversation that's not hateful and, you know, you're not just trolling people. Yeah. Cause everyone thinks if you put it on Facebook or on Instagram that it's gospel and that's oh, geez, because it's their opinion, it's the way of the world. And it's, uh, it's just, it's, been it's a so, great way to stay in touch with people. And I will mm-hmm. tell you, it's been a great way to make new friends. I mean, I've got some friends that I've met on Instagram. Well, deer camp two years ago, I never would have went to deer camp in Montana with all these women that are, I'm now, I consider close friends that I would do anything in the world for. And I met them through Instagram. So it's a blessing and it's a curse. I mean, you yeah. just, it's how you use it. Yeah. You got to take the good with the bad and just try to block out the bad as, as best as you can. Because I mean, I think back to, you know, when Instagram or excuse me, when uh, like Facebook, for example, started and I was um, just in the latter part of college and how much differently it was used back okay. then to how, you know, to how it's, it's really used now. And it's just, it's very eye-opening and makes me kind of miss its infant stages when the everyone was just yeah when everyone was just posting pictures of you know going to parties or going to the bar or you know friends and family yeah. and stuff like that it was it was a much more enjoyable thing to to look at yeah. but i was i was going to add um in addition to uh the organizations i'm involved with out west i also am on the indiana turn in a poacher board which mm-hmm. is a citizen advisory board <clears throat> excuse me that um, works to kind of educate people in the state of Indiana about poaching. And it's a preventative measure, we hope, uh, that encourages the public to turn in people that are poaching. Uh, there are rewards that get offered if someone's prosecuted. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's a good thing. It's a, it's a tough subject because, you know, a lot of people think they can get away with basically anything out in the woods and nobody's ever going to know. But that, I think people are starting to realize that there's people watching and there's the ethics. Um, the ethics are important. And if, if somebody sees somebody doing something wrong, they usually don't feel bad about calling the, you know, the tip line and turning them in. So uh, I'm proud to be a member of that board also. So how are you guys kind of spreading, spreading awareness and spreading the word about that turn in a poacher? Uh, a lot of it is, 
a lot of it is through our um, Department of Natural Resources uh, website through Indiana. Uh, most of it is through there. I know that right now the board, I'm, I'm new. I've only been on for a couple months, but right now the board is working on uh, different ways to get the word out, whether that be um, having events and just general awareness or, um, you know, like a Facebook page or social media type stuff. So <clears throat> it's a, it's a board and I have to be very careful how I say this. I don't want to offend anybody. It's an it's a older board. Like the people that are on the board are an older generation. So um, I don't think there is a whole lot of concern about social media and mm-hmm. and you know getting the word out that way. So I don't know if and I'm 44 and I think I'm the youngest person on it. So I don't know if maybe bringing on younger people they can maybe mix some of that in with getting the word out about the program or not. But if I can help in that, in that way, I certainly will. Yeah. You can certainly reach a, a different demographic yeah. <clears throat> using, using social media as opposed to, you know, just email blasts or, or something like that, yeah. you know? Yep. So I want to take a step back a little bit when we, you were talking about the conversation that you had with the gentleman and you had, you had just kind of mentioned it in passing, but Artemis sportswoman, sportswoman, mm-hmm. excuse me. Tell me a little bit more about that because I'm familiar with it um, kind of from a 30,000 foot view. Um, I know you're an ambassador for them. So so tell me more about the organization and, and really what their mission is. So Artemis Sportswomen um, is a side shoot of the National Wildlife Federation. Um, it was, and I'm going to, uh, I'm terrible with stats, but it was organized with a group of women a few years ago um, that thought that women needed a place to come together to learn about how to advocate for conservation. So um, Marsha Brownlee is now the director and she's running the ship and doing a phenomenal job. But it, it's it's essentially to, to teach women about how to reach out to their elected officials. It's to um, give them confidence to have the conversations about conservation that maybe they didn't have the confidence to have before maybe because they were a woman or they just, you know, they didn't really know because they'd never done that before. I was pretty new um, a few years ago about reaching out to elected officials. I just, you know, I'd never done it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to sound foolish, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have that voice. So they have different events. Um, Some events are work days where they go out and, like I said, pull fences or do Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, Cleanup days. Uh, Other events are when they actually get together and they have like an outdoor survival event that teaches women how to feel comfortable in the outdoors. Um, they've sent people to Washington DC to advocate. So it's, it's just basically a group that um, empowers women to be active in conservation and to use their voice and not feel um, that they shouldn't do that just because they're a woman, I guess is the best. That's my way to explain it. Yeah. And so I guess where can, you know, if there's, if there's, you know, women that are listening to the podcast that maybe are unfamiliar with Artemis, where can they find out more about uh, about joining? Um, yeah, about about joining the organization. Um, you can go to the Artemis website, which is just Artemis. I think it's Artemis Sportswoman. It might be .org, but if you type in or- Artemis Sportswoman mm-hmm. in your search engine, you're going to find it. Uh, there's uh, a podcast that's sponsored by Hunt Eat. There's, um, let's see. There's a Facebook page. There's an Instagram page. Basically, any place you're on social, you can find Artemis. And, and I'm sure there's links on those places that you can find to their website to find out more about the, the program and uh, how to become an ambassador. And they just recently kind of spread their wings to the east 
And it's something I've been waiting on for a couple of years because I just kept waiting for them to make the announcement that they were heading east because it's typically been um, a Western organization, I think because they're so young and mm-hmm. they were just trying to get their feet under them and get established. But they, they got so many people from uh, east of the Mississippi that were expressing interest that they decided it was finally time to spread their wings a little bit. So that's how I got to be an ambassador. Okay. So, I mean, I, now the conversation that that you had with this gentleman the other day, do you think that was more kind of fueled by just just your general outlook on things? Or do you think like being involved with Artemis and, and, and making sure that women have a voice for conservation, did that kind of play a part in that as well? I think it's a little bit of both. I think some of it is um, Artemis and just, you know, feeling like I don't have to sit down and shut up because I'm a woman. Not that anybody's said that I need to do right. that, but just... I, I feel like that's part of it. Part of it, too, um, I don't know. I've just met a lot of really strong women in the last few years, and most of that's associated with the deer camp that um, started in 2018 uh, in Montana. And I think it's it's we've reached a point that we we really enjoy a lot of the hunting platforms that are out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we learn a lot. We enjoy conversation but i think we've all reached a point to where we feel like um women need a little bit more representation and those women who have spoken up on that and have reached out to those platforms to voice you know their concern or their opinion have empowered me a little bit to have my own voice and make my own voice a little bit stronger so if someone is going to this guy didn't attack me but he was very condescending in his mm-hmm. remark. I feel like I have, you know, the power now to, to have that conversation. And I didn't want to do it on the on the platform we were on because it's a very well known person in the hunting industry. And I said this isn't the place for it. Right. Hit me in private messages, and we'll you know we'll talk. And I didn't expect that he would, but he did. So <clears throat> I think I think it's the the strong women that I've met through Artemis and through you know Deer Camp and just. Um, in the outdoors arena, I guess, in general, that have kind of given me that voice that maybe I didn't have before. Yeah, it's amazing what a good support system will do yeah. for for your confidence, right? I mean, this is apples and oranges, but it's kind of the, the closest thing I can kind of compare it to is starting this podcast, right? Like it was it was very foreign to me. I you know I was very very uncomfortable talking into a microphone and you know that's why I mean you and I can see each other now through yeah. uh through this which to me helps immensely tremendously it, <laughs> it feels much more like a conversation than when I was in seventh grade talking on the phone to one of my buddies or something yep. um but the more you do it the more you become comfortable with it and the more you have people around you saying hey you're doing a great job you know work on this or work on that you know surround yourself with good people and you're going to be successful. You're going to have the right attitude and a positive outlook on no matter what you're doing, hunting, podcasting, (laughs) horticulture, you know, whatever it is, if you surround yourself with the right people, it's going to make whatever you're doing that much more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And like I said, the, the women I've met in the last few years and I should, I guess I should preface that with, I've never been friends with girls (laughs) (laughs) And that's terrible. That is horrible. But I've always been a tomboy. I've always run around with guys. I've always been in sports. I just, I just have never been, you know, super girly and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. But 
I didn't dislike girls. I just never had any that I felt like I had any in common, anything in common with to, to hang out with them. Yeah. And when I went to deer camp in 2018, the whole way out there, I was like, I need to turn around and go back home because I was driving out to Montana by myself. I didn't know anybody at camp. I mean, it was a bunch of women I didn't know. And I thought, I can't, I can't deal with like super prissy, you know, catty. I just, I'm not yeah. going to be able to deal with this well. But then I got to thinking about it. I thought, they're going up into the crazy mountains and they're camping for five days too. And they're hunting. So I imagine we're probably going to get along. Okay. Yeah. And it ended up being just the greatest experience. And those relationships have just grown, you know, grown stronger. So I, while I never had a lot of girls as friends when I was younger, Mm -hmm. my outlook has shifted completely now that I found that support system and this, you know, this strong group of women that, you know, we're not out there screaming. We're not men haters. We're not out there screaming <laughs> women's lip. We just, you know, we just want a fair shot and an equal, an equal, you know, setting at the table. So, yeah, um, it's it's good to have it's good to have friends. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, just the whole mission behind Artemis is great. And you oh, know, yeah. the the more the better in terms of conservation or hunting. Is as far as I'm concerned, what male female doesn't matter if you're if you're yeah. out there, you're enjoying wildlife. You're, you know, you're trying to harvest an animal or, or whatever the case may be. I'm all for it. Whoever wants to come. Yeah. If there's a place to learn, then sign me up. Yeah. I mean, this is this. We're all still learning. No matter how long you've been in the outdoors, you're learning something every time you go out. So, yeah. you know, I think that's the best part of it. Now, speaking of learning, I want to go back to what we had talked about a little bit earlier with um, being uh, a 4-H shooting instructor uh, and a certified archery instructor. Um, I'd imagine you've got to be pretty good with a bow if you're a certified archery instructor. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> there's a there's a grand difference between shooting at a target and going out and hunting with a bow. It's just so different. And I can, I'm probably the worst at following my own instruction because when I went to uh, learn what it needed, you know, what I needed to know to be an instructor. Um, it went through, you know, all these steps of every single step, like 12, 12 or 13. I can't remember how many steps now I should know this, but there's a flip chart and it tells you every step that you take to drawing a bow from, from picking it up and holding it to (sighs) how you stand to foot position, to how you place your hands, to how you pull your, to your release. I mean, everything. Yeah. I mean, and the one thing that sticks with me that it's so funny that I that I come back to almost every week when we're teaching archery at, at 4-H during the summer is your your follow through and I tell the kids because I see the kids they go to let go of their string and these are just these are recurves or these are Genesis bows they don't use a release they don't have sights they're just bare bones mm-hmm. bows okay that's what we teach on and a lot of the kids, when they let go of their string, their arm goes straight out to the side. And the one thing that stuck with me when I went to get trained was pretend you have peanut butter on your ear. And when you let go of your string, you're wiping that peanut butter off your ear. And so now, even when I'm out shooting, I always think about having peanut butter on my ear. So <laughs> it, it's 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 funny what sticks with you when you go to these trainings and, and learn. But um, I can... I can tell the kids what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong and I can help them improve. And the best thing I think for me is when I see the light bulb come on for them or they make a good shot and they turn around and look at me like they're just shocked. Yeah. I'm like, that's all you got to do. 
Just that's all you got to do every time you get up there. Now, when I come home and start shooting, I'm overanalyzing everything I do. I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. I mean, it's it's so funny how I can be so confident, go help, you know, the kids at 4-H, and then I come home and I'm a train wreck. <laughs> are you shooting traditional as well or, or a recurve, or are you shooting a compound? Compound. Okay. Yeah, and I just had shoulder surgery last year, so um, I'm trying to work back into getting my weight back up on my bow because mm-hmm. uh, it was my draw arm. So. You know, and every time I get the opportunity to talk to one of the instructors that taught me, because I work with them through Hunter's Ed also, I'm like, okay, so so what should I do? And so, you know, should I change my arrows or should what should I change my broadhead? You know, and I'm asking, they're like, just go home and shoot. Just yeah. go home and shoot. The more you shoot, the more comfortable you're going to be. And that was probably the biggest lesson, you know, through all that is you think that if somebody is an instructor – they're really good with a bow and that's not always the case. They're, I think you have to be good with kids. Mm-hmm. You have to be a good communicator. You have to have patience and you have to know, you know, the basic mechanics because these kids are just shooting paper and the majority of them are coming out once a week and they're shooting for two hours. They shoot from April to July until the fair's over and then they're done for the year. So, so you don't have to, you don't have to, get super crazy analytical about it. They're just kids having fun. And as long as you're getting them out there and getting them interested, you know, that's all we're really trying to do. Yeah. And I'd imagine that, um, it's, it's, well, you kind of said it yourself. It's, it's very rewarding watching everything kind of come together, right? Everything you've been trying to explain to them, trying to preach to them, show them the proper way to do things. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, they're hitting a bullseye or something like that. And yeah, that's, that's gotta be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that would, to me, would be the most rewarding thing, you know, oh, being an instructor. Ever. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. And then, you know, the same thing goes with Hunter's Ed. We, we, we offer the opportunity if a, a kid is struggling with the test, we will offer to read the test to them. And then they can sit with their answer sheet and we will read the questions because, you know, everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. And last year we had um, a young lady that was, she asked if somebody could read the test to her. So um, I went back with another instructor and we sat and I read the test and um, she, she, I think she missed, she didn't pass. She missed by a few questions. And so I went back over the questions with her to see if she, if she really just didn't understand how it was worded or if she just didn't really know the answer. Mm-hmm. And I worked with her a little bit and, we we regraded her test and she passed and she understood it was just the way the wording was, you know, she knew the right answer. But when we got up and went to go back into the the main room where all the other students were, she was crying and um, she was embarrassed. And I said, listen, I said, you have to remember something. A, you pass this test and you're fine. You, you are going to have your Hunter's Ed card. And B, when we were out there at the live shoot, all those boys were afraid to get up there and shoot that shotgun. Who was the first person that volunteered? And she kind of put her hand up. And I said, that's right, you did. I said, so you have nothing to be ashamed of. You passed this just like everybody else did. And you were braver than everybody else out on that firing line when you stood up there and shot that shotgun before everybody else. And she kind of smiled, and then she walked out into the room. And um, one of my instructors, well, Stephen Spencer, the guy that got me into this originally, he's like, I don't know how the way to say this. He's like, but you were made to do this. I'm like, what? He goes, you were made to do this. You're supposed to be doing this the way you were with her. This is what you're supposed to be doing. 
And I'm like, oh, no, I, I was just telling her that she, you know, she didn't have anything to be ashamed of. He's like, okay, that's fine. And See he kind of went on, you know. Yeah. But that right there is like, talk about rewarding. Yeah. I mean, she was crushed. She was embarrassed. But then when she realized, hey, you know what? I did something before everybody else. It kind of, it changed her perspective a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and then just, she was excited. Just hearing that story. Yeah. it's. I'd say you're doing what you're supposed to be doing with, <laughs> with those kids because, I mean, there's, well, one, when it comes to, to learning or, or taking a test, I mean, if you look at just public schools or private schools, school in general, right? I mean, if, if a, a child needs to learn differently than another child, like they accommodate that, right? They, they do what they can to make sure that no one's falling behind, that everyone's learning the same curriculum. Some people just need to, you know, ingest that or digest that information a little bit differently. So right. why should something like Hunter's Ed um, be yeah. any different? Right. I mean, we just yeah. you have to be cognizant of, you know, the students that are in your class. And if someone learns a little bit differently, no problem. We adapt. And, you know, because we yep. want. Yeah. You want to make sure that that those kids, you know, are getting the same opportunities as everyone else. I mean, they're no different. They just learn different. You know? yep. And I knew darn good and well that she knew the information. I mm-hmm. knew she could pass. I didn't you know, there was never any question. And she was there. I think she had two sisters. I think she had two sisters with her. And I talked to her sisters and her dad afterwards, and I said, you know what? When you're ready to go hunting, call me. I said, we can go squirrel hunting, we can go deer hunting, whatever you want to do. When you're ready to go, just give me a call. And she kind of smiled real sheepishly, and she's like, okay, thank you. You know, and yeah. they, but I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I think, you know, you live your life. I was talking about this to somebody yesterday. You live your, you live your life, and at least for me, I've always wondered, what in the hell is my purpose? Like, what? You know, I plant, I see people that I went to school with that are doctors or, you know, they're pilots or they're nurses or they're, they're doing these big, huge things and I'm planting trees. I'm like, what, what am I doing that's important or what am I doing, you know, for the longest time? And then a couple of years ago when I started volunteering, my, you know, I was like, this is kind of cool. And then after having these, you know, exchanges with these kids, I feel like, I don't know that this is 100% my purpose, but I certainly feel like I'm getting there. You know, I I feel some kind of like relief, like I love this and I can't, I can't imagine doing anything else now. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting closer. (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, I can see you right now. So I can see the way you're lighting up when you're talking about this. I can see the emotions that are coming out of you. So if this isn't it, then you, like you said, you are knocking on the door of whatever you're supposed to be yeah. doing because there's no doubt in my mind that you're having a very huge impact on, you know, future generations of, of, of hunters in Indiana. That's, that's without question. The best part about it is I'm having fun. I mean, I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm enjoying it. So I don't know. That's what I like to do to spend my time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, my recommendation being, um, nothing more than a small business owner and a podcast host. Keep doing what you're doing because you are clearly making a difference. And and as happy as I can see that you are, I mean, it's it it it's really it, it makes me kind of inspired to see how much someone else loves what they're doing. So keep it up, Cindy. Okay, I will. <laughs> Just because you said so. <laughs> <laughs> me and all of my infinite wisdom. Yes, absolutely. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> oh. Well, Cindy, this has been an absolute pleasure um, talking with you. I had a great time. You have a tremendous story, and I am really excited for people to hear about this. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on, and 
I'm glad um, Jared threw my name your way. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I assumed you had to do. He had to do some arm twisting, but I'm I'm glad that you agreed, and I, I had a good time. No, absolutely. I I really enjoyed it, and and um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds right, good. Take care. Thank you. Yep. All right. A big thank you to Cindy for hopping on the podcast this week. Uh, I'd also like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier and be sure to check them out at stoneglacier.com. I would also like to thank our partners, uh, 2% for Conservation. Uh, Now, if you've been following along with 2% for Conservation, um, you've seen uh, Jared talk a lot about the Bozeman Conservation Convention uh, that they had scheduled for this year. Uh, Unfortunately, with everything going on, um, they had to uh, cancel um, the the convention for this year, uh, but uh, kind of in lieu of that, what they're doing is a community conservation day, uh, and that's going to be August 22nd, uh, and really what we're trying to do there is just get anyone and everyone outdoors doing something conservation related. Um, we want to kind of flood social media with just a bunch of positive uh, conservation content for that day. Um, You know, to learn more, definitely be sure to follow along uh, on 2% social media. Uh, And if you have questions about, you know, some things that you can do um, when the day comes, uh, definitely be sure to hop on the website fishandwildlife.org and you can find uh, local businesses or local committee members and get in touch with them and find out about some different um, conservation activities or cleanups or, or anything like that that are going on that day. Uh, so again, be sure to follow along um, 2% on their different uh, social media pages. Um, also, if you have any questions or, or need some uh, clarification, be sure to check them out, fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, Stay safe out there, and remember that conservation starts with you.